We're in the last week of a series that we've been calling Live Life. And the premise of the series is real, real simple. You, I, we, we have one shot at this amazing thing called life. There are no do-overs. There are no comebacks. Once a day is gone, there is no getting it back. There's no jumping in the DeLorean, punching in the coordinates and going back in time. Once time has passed by, it is gone. And so many of us live life wasting life. The most precious gift next to salvation that God could give us, and we waste it holding grudges. We waste it being angry. We waste it being depressed. We waste it going through the motions. We waste it waiting for something better to come along. We have this amazing thing called life right at the tip of our fingertips, and most of us live it going through the motions. I was reading my Bible this week and I came across this verse and it kind of stopped me in my tracks because I've read the verse probably a bunch of times in my life. It's never jumped out at me. I don't know if it's because we were teaching this series at this time that it jumped out at me. But the Bible says in Psalms 39, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. The psalmist there, many believe it was David. He's saying, can you let me know how much longer I have on this earth? Can you let me know how my days are numbered? Lord, if I have 10 days or 1,000 days or 10,000 days, he said, can you let me know? Because in the grand scheme of things, this thing called life, Lord, he says, my life is nothing as it stands before you. The Bible says it's but a vapor. It's here and it passes away. To me, this is a very, very humbling verse. It's a humbling verse. Human existence, think about it. Human existence in the grand scheme of eternity, in the grand scheme of everything that has taken place, our life is but a breath. It actually changed up my prayers a little bit this week after reading this. I, I prayed in my prayers, I, I pray every day, obviously, and I'm praying and I'm talking to God. And I ask God every day this week, the last four or five days when I read this verse, to start reminding me how precious life is. To remind me that today, as gloom and doom as it may sound, today might be my last day. And if I knew it was my last day, how would I live this life as opposed to getting up, knowing and thanking that I go on forever because our lives are so brief. I think that's why it's important for us to grasp this concept of living life. It's why it's so important for us to grasp this concept of making the most out of everything that we have. The choice of our life, the choice to live our life is very simply that it is a choice. Make no mistake about it today. You decide whether you're going to live or not. You decide whether you're going to make the most of it. But Gary, you don't know what I, listen, 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 listen. I don't care. So you had a bad string of luck. Guess what? Join the club. Life hasn't went every way you want it to go. Bless your heart. But Gary, you don't know what happened. I I, I get it. I'm not minimizing bad things happening. I'm not minimizing going through rough patches. I'm not minimizing valley experiences. But what I am telling you today is the fact that you went through them doesn't make you special. 
it makes you human. Life is full of ups and life is full of downs. But the problem is we are such a negative-minded people. Let me repeat that again. I said we are such a negative-minded people that we focus on the negative and forget about the good. You've heard me say this before. They say if someone has a bad experience at a restaurant, they're 10 times more likely to leave a bad review than they are to leave a good review if they have a good experience. We are just a negative group. We love to complain. We love to bitch. We love to moan. We love to gripe. It's almost second nature to us. And we do the same thing with our life, man. Life gets hard and we shut down. So what we've been doing is we've been looking at the characteristics week by week. If you miss any of the messages, you can go to actionchurch.tv, click on the podcast. You can download those for free. You can go to your iPhone or whatever podcast you use, if it's Apple or Android or whatever it is. And you can go there, type in actionchurch.tv, and you can get those podcasts for free. And we've been looking at what I believe are the characteristics, according to the Bible, of living a life of fulfillment. The first week we looked at the fact that we have to live life passionately. That we have to chase the lion. That we have to make the most. We have to take risk in our life. We have to do what no one else is doing in order to experience what no one else is experiencing. The second week of the series, we talked about loving completely. We talked about how we are to love one another. That doesn't mean we always agree with one another. It doesn't even mean we like one another. My wife likes to tell me very often, I love you, but at this moment, I don't like you. She's wrong in those moments, but she likes to tell me that every now and then. We're to love completely. Life is so much easier when you love. We talked about last week, if we want to live life to the fullest, we have to learn from our past. You can't go back and change your past. But you can allow your past not to define you, and instead you can allow your past to refine you. It it can be set up as a memorial of what you don't ever want to do again or a memorial of what the mistakes you made where you learn from those mistakes because mistakes are going to happen. There's only one perfect person who ever lived in newsflash for you. You're not him or her. We have to learn from our past. Today, I want to wrap up this series. I want to put a nice little bow on it and talk about the last thing in living life. Because I think if we look through life through this lens, if we started living our life knowing that one day this, let me rephrase that, knowing that our life here on earth will end. We're just stupid enough around here to believe that when life ends here, it begins forever in another place. That's what our faith is wrapped around. It's why we do what we do. But if we start living our life like our days here are limited and we start making decisions based on that, we'll understand the importance of the last step in living life. And we're going to learn today about how to leave a godly legacy. How to leave a godly legacy. I remember when I got into a certain venue one time, I was working on some different things. It was a new industry for me. And some guy told me, he said, just leave it better than you found it. Just leave this industry better than you found it. It's a crooked industry. 
It's a backstabbing industry. And he said, just make sure that when you're done, whether that's five years from now or 25 years from now, or man, where's three months from now? Just make sure you left it better than you found it. When we're done on this earth, when we've taken our last breath on this earth, you will leave something called a legacy. It will either be a good legacy or it'll be a bad legacy. What would generations to come say about your life based on the way you're living today? How could they look at your life differently if you lived differently? Let me give you an example. Chances are that every one of you here have parents. Safe to say, none of you were born on an egg. A stork didn't bring you. You weren't under a cabbage patch. You have parents. You might not even know your parents. You might not have ever met your parents. You might be super close with your parents. But if I was to ask you, what kind of impact in your life did your parents make on you? The answers would vary. Some of you would immediately light up and say, man, I had the greatest parents who ever lived. They taught me this and they taught me that and they molded me into this way and they were there for me during these times and when I messed up, they came alongside of me and man, your face would light up. Guess what? That's the legacy that they left. Some of you would say, I had parents. They provided. They were there. I never went hungry. I had a roof over my head. But I can't say that they were necessarily loving. I can't necessarily say they lived a life that I want to model my life after. That would be their legacy. Some of you would immediately say, man, I had horrible parents. My parents abandoned me at a young age, or my parents were there, but they were more interested in their own selfish desires. They were more interested in drugs or alcohol or who they were dating at the time than being a parent to me. You would say, man, actually everything I do in life is to do the opposite of what my parents taught me. Guess what? That's their legacy. See, a legacy can be good, a legacy can be ho-hum, or a legacy can be bad. Whether you like it, don't like it, we are all living, leaving a legacy. We're all living a life that echoes throughout eternity. Once your time here is gone, there will be a time when people look back on your life and what they say about you and the impact they talk about you will be what is considered the legacy. We're going to talk about legacy today. Because every one of us are leaving a legacy, but are we intentionally living our life to leave a godly legacy? I have four kids. I have two boys and I have two girls. Luke is the youngest. I don't even know if Christine remembers this story. He's nine now. When Luke was about four, I asked him, I said, Luke, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I want to be like you, Daddy. And immediately I stuck out my chest. Yeah, it wants to be like me. And I said, oh, you want to be a preacher? He looked at me. Like he didn't even know what that meant. He said, no. I want to marry Steen and have kids. The legacy. I can't fault a kid for having good taste. 
It kind of moved me that, 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 that he sees a marriage that he wants to be part of, even at four. So I'll never forget, I went in to hug him and thank him. He hit me with a lightsaber and he ran off, you know. I mean, legacy is what we leave. Leaving a godly legacy. Everything, you need to understand this today. Everything we do. Every decision we make, every breath we take, every word we say, everything leaves a legacy. The question is, is it leaving a godly legacy? Are we being intentional, if you will, in how we go about leaving the legacy that will stand the test of time? Are we being intentional about living a life that will leave a legacy that impacts others? And there has to be some intentionality in that. Because in our natural sense, without thinking about it, without being intentional, being unintentional, just living life, we make poor choices. By nature, we're a selfish being. By nature, everything revolves around us and what's best for us is what happens. And when we live our life selfishly and life all about us, we're not living the kind of legacy that we want to pass down. So we've got to be intentional about some things. And I want to give you some things today because here's the deal. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I'm hungry today. And we're going to get out of here soon. How many of you believe we're going to get out of here soon? Look at that. i got like three people here that got confidence in me. My three favorite people in the building. Three favorite people in the building. They believe when I say we're going to get out of here early, we're going to... What would be early? 11? How many say 11's early today? You're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> How do you say, Gary, the way you preach, 11.15 would be early. 11.15? All right, we'll shoot for 11.15 today. No promises, though. Hey, we're going to leave a legacy. What do we got to do? The first thing we got to do is we're going to say the words that God wants us to say. We're going to say the words that God wants us to say. Gary, I want to leave this legacy How do I leave a legacy? It starts with the verbalization of what comes out of our mouth. I I, I can't emphasize this enough. The biggest lie that we tell our children growing up is uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Then you've never been called a name because they hurt I like to think of myself as a tough guy, redneck Gary man, the foul mouth preacher who don't care what anyone thinks, but the reality is words can hurt. Especially words that come from people that we love. People that we care about. Yet we're so haphazard with our words. We say it and we spray it. We shoot it out and don't think about how hard it is to get it back in. And once it's out there, it's out there. (coughs) And then we love to blame. Oh, man, I was just mad. I was just mad. No, 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 no. You were just mad, so you allowed your guard to be let down to say what you were already thinking. Someone looks at you and says, man, I didn't mean that I was mad. They're lying to you. Oh, man, I had too much to drink. Oh, you had too much to drink. So you let your guard down. The alcohol took down that filter in your mind that says, man, if I say this, it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. No, you meant it. Because if you didn't mean it, it wouldn't have been in you to begin with. This is what I always could I, I didn't mean that. This is a funny. It's not funny, but it's funny. I didn't mean that. You hurt me, and I just wanted to hurt you. 
so you wanted to hurt me, but you didn't mean it, then you're an idiot. We're so haphazard with our words, but here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. The power of life is in the tongue. The power of life is in what we say. The power of death is in the tongue. Make no mistake about it. Words can build somebody up and words can tear somebody down. Words can do more damage than anything else. People have grown up their whole life being told they'll never amount to anything. They'll never accomplish anything. That they're ugly. That they're overweight. That they're stupid. That they're a loser. That they're this. That that that. And these people begin to believe. And you say, well, they're mentally weak. No, 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 no. The Bible says the power is in the tongue. When you hear something enough, what happens? You begin to believe it. Especially when it comes to someone who is supposed to nurture us. And care for us like parents, siblings, spouses, children. Don't give me that BS that you ought to be stronger than that. There's power in our mouth. The words that we speak can literally bring joy to people. They can build people up or it can tear them down. Words can change someone's entire day. And it seems to be that we specialize in saying the negative... And we never get around to saying the positive. We love to tell people everything they're doing wrong. I'm teaching them. And never tell anybody what they're doing right. Listen, you want to leave a godly legacy? Start with your children. Start building them up with your words. Start building up the next generation. Are we not the worst with that? This generation coming up is a bunch of idiots. And that might be true, I understand. Hey, by the way, when we were coming up, we were idiots. It's called the circle of life. I mean, maybe you weren't. I thank God daily that from about 16 to 23, there was not social media in my life. Thank God there was not Snapchat in my life, Instagram in my life, Facebook in my life, because I did some stupid stuff. I just didn't, I don't even want to say I wasn't stupid enough to post it. I just didn't have the means to post it. Because I would have been stupid enough to post it. I'm 45 years old and I'm still stupid enough to post it. Man. Lord. We need to build people up. The next generation needs to know that we believe in them. (laughs) One of my... Biggest honor as a pastor, I'm not the most pastorly person around. I'm not the guy you need to come to for counseling. I have what's called the bridge philosophy when it comes to counseling. Oh, you're dealing with that? Build a bridge and get over it. So you really don't want to come to me. I'm I'm horrible at it. But But I love, I love, and it sounds weird, but I love to go visit people in the hospital. 
because it's at their scariest moments. They're down, and something about walking in, it builds them up. But I can't tell you how many times I've went to visit somebody in the hospital. I've showed up, and a family member will pull me off to the side, and they're scared, they're fearful, that they're worried that the person that I'm there to visit is not going to make it. And they'll say something, they'll tell me, man, can, can you just let them know how much I love them? Can you just let them know how much I care? And I always wonder to myself, why on their deathbed do you need me to go say what you should have been saying throughout the years? What a shame. I pray that if you ever find yourself in a place like that, you don't have to tell someone else to make sure your loved one knows that you love them, that you're proud of them. I love this example in the Song of Solomon. And um, it's in the Old Testament. He's the wisest man who ever lived. Or excuse me, in the book of Proverbs. But David has went to his son Solomon. In the book of Proverbs, essentially, if you ever read Proverbs, it's just sentence after sentence of wisdom. It's because it's David leaving wisdom to his son Solomon. Look what he says in Proverbs 4.20. My son, pay attention to what I say. He's about to drop truth bombs on him. He says, turn your ear to my words. He he said, what I'm about to tell you is going to be full of wisdom. He's telling his son, listen closely to what I verbalize to you because it will change your life. He said, what I'm about to tell you, these words, don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for there can be life found in these words. There can be health found in these words. He goes, pay attention to what I say. You turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. He says, for these words, they are life to those who find them and help to one's whole body. That's powerful. They are life. What's life? The words. The words the dad is about to pass down to his son. Dad, you have an obligation to train your children. The Bible says we're to train our children. We don't teach children, you teach goats. You teach goats how to act, you train children how to act. Oh, by the way, it'd probably do some of you parents some good to start training your children. Save yourself some heartache later on. Oh, did I say that? I didn't get a lot of amens. You say, well, how do I know you're talking about me? Well, go work in the kids' area one day and see how your kid acts. Call your teacher and ask them how your kid acts. Quit explaining away how they act. Someone told me, the teacher just doesn't like him. I said, man, the teacher don't like him. Church volunteers don't like him. The neighborhood parents don't like him. Maybe the problem is you. What? Well, what? He's the one doing it. No, he's doing what you've taught him to do. I want to get real political right now about a situation that happened in our country this week. That was the parents' fault, but I won't say it. We might offend some people. We wouldn't want to do that. Words that come out of our mouth are powerful. David knew he had to teach and pass down this legacy to Solomon. 
He said, son, I want you to know these things. He said, I'm going to express some words of wisdom to you, some love, some encouragement. I read recently that the most common thing, the most common thing that different people throughout the years said was the most important to them was they just wanted to know their dad was proud of them. That went for men, women, black, white, rich, poor. They wanted to know they had a dad who was proud of them. (laughs) I can't tell you how many people I've asked when they do want to meet with me. It's one of the first questions I ask them. Tell me, what do you think your dad feels about you? And so many people are like, man, I, I don't know. I'm sure I'm a disappointment. I don't live up to his standards. How tragic that a kid would question, a grown kid would question how their parents feel about them because the parents are too stupid to say the words that need to be said. A couple of months ago, I had a dad come to me. He said, I'm having trouble connecting with my son. His son's one of my vendors He said, but man, you seem to connect with them great. I don't understand it. I asked him, I said, well, let me ask you a question. Does your son know you love him? Guy got defensive immediately. Of course he does. I said, okay, I'm just asking, man. I don't know anything about you. I don't know why you're getting defensive. I don't know why you'd ask that. I said, well, if I went to ask him, does he know you love him? What do he know? Well, he should. I said, have you ever told him you love him? what he said. My dad never told me. I just knew. I don't got to tell him. No, you a-hole, you do. That's why you're not connected with your son. You prideful, arrogant person. So I asked him, I said, your dad never told you? How's your relationship with your dad? Well, I haven't talked to him in years. Here's your sign. There's power in words. You want to know why your teenage girls are boy crazy, running around, trying to get affirmation from boys? You're not going to like the answer. Because they're not getting it from you. How many people, they got daddy issues? Yeah, one person gets it. I'm not here to be your friend today. I'm here to tell you the importance of you leaving a legacy. It'll be a cold day in hell before my kids don't know that I love them. I love them no matter what they do, what they decide, who they love. I tell you something that was very, um, I think I talked about this on this podcast this last week. I can't remember. I talked about it so much. It was a four-hour podcast if you watched it. It was insane. But I was watching, Christine and I were watching the Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, Not Jeffrey Dahmer. Um... Ted Bundy, the Ted Bundy doc. This has been months ago, and we're watching. I'm not thinking much about it, and it never really hit me anything about Ted Bundy to the very last episode. And they had Ted Bundy's mom on there, and I'll never forget. She's older. She was so meek, and she said, "My my son did horrible things." She didn't excuse him. 
She said, my, my son deserves prison. She didn't explain it away. She said, my son deserved the death penalty for what he did. She wasn't making excuses and trying to get punishment taken away from him. <laughs> but she said, but he's my son. And in spite of all of that, I love him. I gave birth to him. And I always let him know every time I communicated to him that I loved him. That hit me, man. That's, that's hardcore. It'd be hard to love little Ted. I'll be honest with you. But that's the legacy that we leave. I want to pass a legacy down to my children I'm intentional about letting them know I'm proud of them. And I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal. There's a lot of things. If you're new here, listen. There's a lot of things I preach and I say, man, I'm horrible at this. But I'm good at this one. I had a dad who all the time told me how proud he was of me. And that I could do anything I wanted to do in my life. And I should chase my dreams and I should take risks. And it shaped me. Everybody says, I don't understand how you're wired. I'm wired the way I am because my dad poured into me with his words. I love Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized. Now, according to the Bible, we might have happened, but there's nothing recorded in the Bible. At this time, Jesus had performed no miracles. At this time, Jesus had not started his public ministry yet. And when the John the Baptist baptized Jesus, heaven opened up, and God said, that is my son, and who I am well pleased. How powerful is that? We need to speak the words that need to be spoken. You need to speak the words to your spouse that need to be spoken. Hey, by the way, you need to speak the words to your spouse that need to be spoken. Let me just give you a little reaction. Because if you don't, someone else will. Trust me, someone else will. What you ignored, what you neglected, Somebody else will come along and see it as the treasure that it is. So what kind of legacy are you leaving? And I'm not trying to pick on the men. We're just, we're just stubborn. Especially us southern men. We don't want to express our emotions. We, we've been taught that expressing your emotions is not masculine. Express your emotions to your wife one night. And just see how masculine you feel afterwards. It's a little freebie for you tonight, guys. Trying to help you here today. The words you speak are the legacy that you're leaving. Not only are we going to speak the words that God wants us to speak, we're going to do what God wants us to do. We're going to do what God wants us to do. We're talking about living a legacy you don't leave a godly legacy thinking about doing something. You leave a godly legacy by doing what God has commanded you to do. Acts twenty twenty four. however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. He said, my life is nothing to me. God's told me to testify of his goodness, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to testify God's grace. 
In other words, what he's saying is if I can't preach about Jesus, which is what he was called to do, nothing else matters. It's a task I must finish to fulfill the reason God put me here. Why are you here? Every person here has a purpose. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make do-overs. You might have surprised mommy and daddy. You didn't surprise God. He created you. He formed you. He shaped you. He made you for a purpose. And deep in your soul, you know what that purpose is for. So the question becomes, are you living that purpose? How many people have come to me over the years and said, man, 10 years ago I felt led to start this and I just didn't do it. I felt led to do that and I didn't do it. I felt led to do this for the homeless or this to feed people or this to clothe people. Man, I felt led to do this when it came to foster children. I felt led to do this as it came to that. I felt led to do this and I never did it. Listen, that's leaving a legacy of unfinished business. It's leaving a legacy teaching your children to play it safe. It's leaving a legacy to everyone around you that you serve a very small God because you don't have the testicular fortitude to step out and do what he's called you to do. We're going to do what God wants us to do. We're going to step out in faith in what God calls us to do. We're not going to apologize for what God calls us to do. We're not going to make excuses for what God calls us to do. The church has been left here to impact the world. It's not the government's job to feed people. It's not the government's job to take care of people. It's not the government's job to make sure people have shelter. But here's the deal. The government had to step up because those of us who are Christ's followers didn't. If the church was doing what it was called to do, we'd be impacting the world. Church lost focus. The church decided we would turn into a business. We'd leave the cities and go out to where all the big neighborhoods are and buy 50, 60 acres and build monuments that get used on Sunday mornings and do nothing else with them all week. The church decided we'll get millions upon millions of dollars in debt to impress people and not impact our community. I think it makes God sick that we don't do what we're called to do. I know what God's called me to do. I don't apologize for it. We were asked to start this church uh, 10 years ago. 13 people. The deal was we'll move to the poorest part of town and we'll serve people. And if people don't like that, they don't like that. Someone called me recently, matter of fact, about 10 days ago. And they said, have you seen this building that is available. I think the guy would work with you where you guys can own a building. So I clarified the building. I said, this building in this location? Yes, that's not the right location. What do you mean? I said, that's not where we're called to be. He said, it's six minutes from where you are right now. I said, yeah, I know. And I said, that building is amazing. 
And I'm not going to tell you the building, but in my life, that building would have been a full circle 360 to be right back where I started years ago. Part of me would love to have that building. But I can't fulfill the vision we feel called to fulfill in that building because it's not in the right part of town. I like that we're in the ghetto. I like that when first-timers come in, I have to crack a joke with them and be like, man, did you bring your knife today? Because I can tell you're scared crapless in this parking lot, and I understand, because I've been coming here 10 years, and it still freaks me out. I love the fact that we're in the old grocery store. I like the fact that this place used to be a haunted house before we moved in, and you go in the back, because we've never done anything in the back, and there's fake blood on the wall, and all this craziness, it just seems to fit with what goes on here at this church. It just kind of fits like a glove. It feels like home. Would I like us to own a building? Sure, I guess. I don't know. Never thought about it. But I'm not compromising the vision for it. Not interested in being the safe church. Not interested in looking like everyone else. And I'm not against what everyone else is, so hear me out. Don't say you leave here and Gary said all the other churches are wrong. No, I think they're right if they're following the vision God gave them. I don't know. I don't answer for that church. For some reason, my curse is I have to answer for this place. You guys, that's a full-time job. But we do what God's called us to do. I felt called to this city. 16 years ago, when everyone was telling me to leave 14 or 11 years ago, I wasn't leaving. So called here. Every t- Christine, every time we try to leave this freaking town, every time, we tried to leave a year ago, not because we wanted to leave the church. We just thought, man, we're going to move about 30 minutes away and get some land to be in another city where we can go out to eat without everyone knowing us. We'll drive down on Sundays, and every single thing fell through the roof. We were living two blocks from the church. I said, God, I need to be further away. So God, in his sense of humor, instead of being two blocks away, 30 seconds away, we're now three minutes away. You've got to pray specifically what God I've learned. You do what God's called you to do. That's how we operate. Lastly, and we're done. Maybe we'll get out of here early. We're going to live the way God wants us to live. So we're going to speak words to leave a legacy. We're going to show those around us that we're going to do what God's called us to do. We're going to step out and minister to people and impact people and live life. But we're also going to live the way God wants us to live. You know the biggest stumbling block from people attending church is? Any guesses? The biggest stumbling block to people attending church. The people in the church. (laughs) the people in the church. Hypocritical, judgmental bigots. We love you if you look like us and you act like us and you smell like us and you know our secret handshake. Then you can accept it in. But the first time you do something we don't like, you don't vote like us or dress like us, or marry who we say you should marry, man, then we don't want anything to do with you. But I'm going to go live my life like hell outside of Sunday morning. I'm going to have my hidden secrets. Heard a song this week called Small Town Secrets That Everyone Knows. It talked about all the secrets we know of people, we just don't talk about them. 
I started World War III on Facebook this week posting a letter from another church. Written to a couple in the same-sex relationship. And here's the deal. This might surprise you. I didn't have a problem with the church having that issue. That's their belief and whatever. More power to them. Great thing about our country, man, boom, do whatever you want to do. It's not going to be our philosophy here, but man, if that's their right, whatever. I had a problem with the absolute religious arrogance in which the letter was written. You need to come before us and repent. We're going to break fellowship with you. And then they sign their names. I, I, I wanted to, this. I would have never, I might have done it, I don't know. I, I wanted to hire a private investigator to follow all four of the people who signed that letter to dig up all the dirt on those four people. Because you know it's there. When I lost everything 12 years ago, I don't say this in a prideful way. Or an, when I lost things, there was three people that were the most animate against me. Three pastors. I mean, they made my life hell. Back then, blogging was a big thing. They would blog about me and post on Twitter about me. All three of them, within a year, got exposed for doing the same thing they were blasting me about. Man, we love to bash what we're hiding. Arrogance in it. That being said, we need to live the way that God wants us to live. The unbelieving world looks at a bunch of believers who live just like them when they think, why do I need that in my life? We're going to live a way that God wants us to live. We're going to live in a way that glorifies God. We're going to live in a way that honors God. I did not say we're going to live in a religious way, in a rule-following way, in a way that you've got to act a certain way and look a certain way and have your hair cut a certain way and dress a certain way. Those are man-made rules, but we're going to live in a way that God wants us to live. And to sum it up, we're going to love God and love people. First commandment. The second is like the first, he said. Love God. Love your neighbor. Listen, we preachers have complicated this Jesus thing. It ain't that complicated. Love God. Love people. And you know what I've realized in my life? The more that I pour into loving God, and the more that I pour into loving people, the other things that all the churches preach about just fall into place. When I make time weekly or daily, excuse me, for my time of personal worship and it's one-on-one time with God, listen, it changes the way my prayer life is better. My desire to read the Word is better. My attitude is better. My demeanor is better. My temper is better. My arrogance is better. Listen, when I'm loving God, all the other things fall into place. The church has said you love God by following all these rules. The Bible says when you love God, all these things will just fall into place because they'll be the desires of your heart. Holy smokes. We've got it wrong. Religion says do this to get to God. The Bible says love God and there'll be something different about you. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect. It doesn't mean you won't have hard times. It doesn't mean you won't have marital problems and you won't have problems with your kids. The difference will be in the way you handle those situations. They'll see there's something different about you. They'll see that peace that passes understanding going on in you. First John 2, 17 says this. 
All right, let's go to James 1.22 first. It says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's not enough to listen to the word. You've got to do what it says. I can get up here and preach to you till I'm blue in the face. I tell people the time I am not the greatest preacher in the world. If you're looking for the best preacher in the world, you are at the wrong place. But you can listen to the greatest preacher in the world every week. But if all you do is listen and never implement what you're being taught, it's of no use to you. We become full of knowledge. And I'm afraid that's what's happened in the church today. We have a bunch of people who know the Bible frontwards and backwards and backwards and frontwards, and they know everything, and they can quote Scripture right and left, but man, they're not living it. They're not putting it into action. They're hearers of the Word and not doers of the Word. Let the Word of God speak to you. Let the Word of God correct you, challenge you, comfort you, convict you, change you. And when it does, leave a legacy with what you've been taught. I believe this. I believe the Word of God speaks in different people's lives in different ways. God's not looking for cookie-cutter Christians. He's looking for people that are inspired by the words that live out the words that they've been inspired by. We're not ever always going to agree. People all the time want me to teach, all the time on different subjects. Gary, you ought to teach on the end times. The Bible talks about the end times, but here's the deal. The church has been arguing about the end times for thousands of years. There's great biblical points to back up every view. So why am I going to get in here and for us to start debating about it? Here, you ought to teach what the Bible says about speaking in tongues. The Bible talks about speaking in tongues. But there's all kinds of differing views on it. And guess what? Every one of them have Bible to back up their points of view. So why am I going to come here and cause divisiveness? You ought to talk about whether you can keep your salvation or lose it. Why? The Bible talks about it. Now, let me make this very clear to you. I have personal opinions on every one of those topics based on my understanding of the Bible. But you think I'm going to break fellowship with you if you disagree with me on that? I don't care. Here's what I care about. Do you love God? And do you love people? That's all I care about. Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. That's my line in the sand. If you roll up in here and say there's another way to heaven, man, I'm going to welcome you in this church, I'm going to love you, but I'm going to disagree with you on that. I'm going to argue with you. If you're saying we shouldn't love these people because of their lifestyles, we're going to break bread, we're going to break fellowship over that. I'm not breaking fellowship with you over speaking in tongues. I'm not breaking fellowship with you over your understanding of the Holy Spirit. I'm not breaking fellowship with you over the end times. The, the big two views on the end times are pre, it's called pre-tribulation, post-tribulation. I don't want to get real deep with you. We had someone call the church one day, and they said, man, we just moved to the area. We're looking for a church. Can you tell me where you stand on the end times? Immediately, I knew we were not the church for them. If that's a question you're asking, that's cool, but we're pro- you're probably going to be real deep into something that we're not into. They said, are you pre-trib or post-trib? I said, well, we're pan-trib. Pan-trib? They got intrigued, man. I've never heard of that. What is pan-trib? 
I said, I believe it all pan out in the end. <laughs> Click, they hung up. Love God, love people. Here's what I've learned. We want to get, actually, actually, we had a couple leave a ch- the church the last time I said this. So let me say it again. We can't handle the simple things. Love God, love people. We start living those two out. Here's my promise to you. I'll start getting real, real deep on all the other subjects. But you can't do the kindergarten version of Christianity. And yet you're wanting a master's degree program. Love God, love people. I've been doing this gig now. I've been doing this gig since I was 22. Literally the week I turned 22. Actually, that's pastoring. So I've been in full-time ministry since I was 20. So 25 years. I still can't get to love God, love people right. You want to go break all this other stuff down? Handle the element. The Bible talks a lot about the power of the foundation. Get the foundation right. We'll start building on it after that. That's my promise to you. 1 John 2.17 says, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. All the things that we think are important aren't important. Those things pass away. But living a life that's pleasing to God, and that lives forever. You know why it lives forever? Because it leaves a legacy. We're leaving a legacy. The question is, what are we leaving? The question is, what are we leaving? The problem is, the problem is, we very rarely live by conviction. And instead, we live by preference. <laughs> conviction is a belief on the inside that always shows up on the outside. It's my conviction. There's, there's nothing you're going to do to change me. A preference is a strong desire to do something that you'll compromise when the cost becomes too high. We have a conviction here. Let me rephrase that because I don't know that we do. I have a conviction here that we do church for those who don't do church. It's non-negotiable. We've lost some of the biggest givers in this church over that conviction. But you know why it didn't change? Because it's conviction. We've had some preferences around here that people have come to me. They don't like them. I'm like, okay, we can evaluate on that. I don't care. That's a conviction to me. We don't have a lot of convictions when it comes to living to God. Then I'll be at church, the little league game. It's hunting season. Until I got to go play golf. It's a preference. It's a preference to be at church. That's okay. I don't believe you're going to hell because you miss church. I'm going to give to the church. Up so the car breaks down. You don't have a conviction then. You have a preference. But I'm going to serve others. Don't tell me I have the time to go do something else. We live by preferences, not convictions. So it's hard for us to live in a way that pleases God because we're a convictionless society. We're going to say the words that need to be said. We're going to do what God calls us to do. We're going to live in a way that God speaks to us to live. 
And in that process, we're going to leave a legacy that gets passed on to the next generation. We're going to leave a legacy that gets passed down all over. And in the end result, it spreads and it begins to impact people. The legacy. In this gig, I've done a lot of funerals. 25 years worth of funerals. I always meet with the family. I say, tell me something about them. You can always find out real, real quick the legacy they've left. Sometimes, man, one of two ways it just starts flowing. They'll start telling stories and everybody starts laughing and crying their tears of joy. And I remember when he did this and they did that or she did this and they did that. And sometimes I ask that question and it gets real, real quiet. And they're thinking. Literally, this happened one time. I said, you can't think of anything that they liked. They liked cheese dip. I said, oh, okay. I'm trying to get more out of them. I said, so he liked Mexican food? No, just cheese dip. I said, man, can you tell me some funny stories? Son's got tears running down. He goes, he wasn't a funny man. Maybe sometimes you and him went and did something. Uh-uh. I can't think of anything. Into your life, they're going to free flow stories about you. Christine's grandparents died. It was the first time ever that I was like, listen, I don't need any more stories. I can't, I, there's only so much time I got to speak. That's a legacy I want to live. Where there's so many stories of impact. I don't want them being like, man, he liked cheese dip. She liked to drink. Literally, I, I did a funeral for a lady's grandmother one time. I said, tell me something about grandma. It's quiet. Well, she liked men. She was married nine times. I said, you want me to say that? I mean, like, work with me here, man. <laughs> My point is you're leaving a legacy. Some of you are leaving a terrible legacy, a worthless legacy. Dare I say an embarrassing legacy. The Bible says in James 4.14, what is your life? You're but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. But a mist. In the grand scheme of things, our life is but a mist. It's but a vape. Blow it out and it disappears. We got one shot at this thing called life. Life is amazing. But how are you going to live it? We're going to live compassionately. We're going to love completely. We're going to learn from the past. We're not going to leave a goldy legacy. We're going to leave a godly legacy. In 10 years, I think that's the first time Xander's ever messed up, ever. 
I would expect that to be on a, on a Sunday when Xander's not here. Look, oh, boom, he fixed it just like that. Ain't there a stripper at the Claremont named Goldie? Rick, is Rick here today? Who, who, Scott, who's a stripper that crushes the beer cans with her boob? Blondie. I thought it was Goldie. I was say, man, you can, you can leave a beer crushing boob legacy too. I don't care. That's how we roll at Action Church. We're going to live passionately. It's one of our elders back there. He knows all the strippers in the city. Love completely. Learn from the past. God, I got to get off this stage. We can leave a godly legacy. Next week, we're starting a new series called Emotions, and we're going to be talking about the different emotions, how we deal with anger, sadness, joy, all the different things, anxiety. It's going to be an awesome series the month of May. I hope this series has helped you. We're going to pray real quick. The band's going to come do one song. Man, don't leave worship this last song. It's one of my favorite worship songs of all time. 